Welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to a special Lost Without Moments bonus interview episode of the Lost Without Japan podcast. Our bi-weekly podcast is focused on getting you to Japan for your first visit or to make that next adventure to Japan even better than your last. Today's special interview episode with Remy from Japan Tour Adventure will cover a variety of services that will help give you a truly unique guided adventure some of which will help you even burn the calories you're consuming while you're exploring some unforgettable stops for various food that upon looking for pictures, I'm super jealous of, Remy. <laughs> it's like super jealous. <laughs> uh, this is your Congo Guido for TKIC Studio Productions, coming to you with hopes and dreams of return to travel for listeners of our show in 2022, and for himself and his son in summer 2023. Now, Remy, I don't know if you know, but we have listeners that are, um, you know, from the United States uh, and from Australia. But we also have listeners from within Japan. And for those of you listening from Japan, for you that have friends that are Japanese or Japanese speaking or just pr- looking to practice English, Remy has some very unique offerings for you. So this might be a podcast that you want to share with friends. Would you agree with me, Remy? Uh, absolutely, Michael. <laughs> oh, thanks for hopping on today, my friend. I, I greatly with it. I am so like legitimately excited. Like um, I was on your website when we had first uh, messaged back and forth with each other, like a lot, <laughs> like the, those first couple days, like looking through and um, we're going to make sure you don't miss something, too. So I'd like to thank you all, all the listeners today, for giving me a bit of your time. And I truly hope that this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at the moment. My belief is that we could all use a beacon like this in our lives to help guide us during these times. And my hope is that Japan, along with this show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're returning Lost Without Listener, thank you again for your time and for returning once more. For today's show, let me introduce a special guest from the website japantouradventure.com and supporting YouTube channel Japan Tour Adventure, Remy. I must say, Remy, I am like so thankful for Jeff from Rediscover Tours Um, and Rediscover Japan, like introducing you uh, to me so that we could be on the show today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Michael. It's also a very big privilege to be here. And I hope I can help a lot of people um, getting to Japan in the near future. That's I agree. I agree. And uh, your voice is made for podcasting, my friend. You know, I'm going to have to watch out. You're going to have your own one and it's going (laughs) to It's like going to be taking my place. So I I, I truly feel fortunate to have you, Remy, join myself and listeners of Lost Without Japan. And it's not just because of that sake 
tour that I could be booking through Japan Touring <laughs> Adventures. So welcome, Remy. Uh, thank you, Michael. Yeah, we do have the Saki tour, but it's not the only thing we do have here. So um, as much as I can, I'll try to explain everything we do, how we do it, um, maybe make some uh, decisions easier for people willing to travel to Japan in the near future and answering all the questions you might ask um, right now or in the future from the website. Excellent. And really, before we start going too deep into the episode, where can listeners go to take advantage of your services or to ask some additional questions uh, when they're looking to book their next trip? Uh, like, what are your websites, social media accounts, things that people could reach out to you with? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, well, first of all, of course, you have our official website, japantoadventure.com, when we offer all our products generally. Uh, you can also contact us quickly by email going through the website. We're also available on um, Line, the Line app, which is actually mostly famous in Asia, not really in the States or in Europe. But you also have um, WhatsApp. We do yes. have the number for WhatsApp if you want to contact us directly with, through a direct message. Um, and of course, we are uh, listed on all the major OTAs, the, you know, experience in traveling providers such as TripAdvisor, Expedia. Uh, we also very present on Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, YouTube, um, many other places such as even Rakuten Experiences. Recently, we've been approved as an experience provider. It's awesome. But I have to say that if you can, guys, uh, anyone willing to book with us in the future, uh, I would rather have you booking through our direct platform because it makes communication so much easier. And also, um, we actually don't have to give any commission to any middleman to introduce us to you. So it's actually better for us and for you, probably. That's a longstanding uh, thing for our show where it's like, People are struggling so much right now everywhere in the world, like yeah. with the economy and things of how they're going. And if we can make sure that the people that are providing either your lodging or your experiences are getting the full amount of what is being given to them, it's better for everybody. Because at the end of the day, I want you and others like we, we I want you there because I'm going to be there like with my son. And <laughs> we're already talking about a couple experiences where I'm like, man. I mean, we're going to need to talk after this because I'm going to have to set some things up for you as well um, for when we come over. But it, I agree with you 100 times over. Uh, Remy, this next part is really it's it's about you and how much you want to share and what you want to go into is um, completely up to you as well. Uh, you can talk about yourself, um, your company, the role, like how you made it to Japan. Um, how you have a business in Japan. I mean, like all these things that I'm going to be taking notes as well as you're talking um, and we'll go from there. And for all of you, uh, as always, don't worry, uh, links and websites uh, for Remy are always in the show notes. So if you're driving right now, you know, keep driving. Well, we'll, we'll have it for you. OK, so, but Remy, uh, you know, go ahead and share about yourself, my friend. Sure. Thank you. Well, um, first of all, this my name, my full name is Remy Lopez. I'm from France originally. Uh, my father was Spanish. And I came to Japan for one very big reason, two reasons actually. Number one, I wanted to speak Japanese. And of course, you cannot really uh, study a language efficiently unless you go to the country where they speak. 
so for Japanese, you had only one choice. I couldn't go to Korea for that, even though you have a lot of Korean who can speak Japanese because a lot of customers go there. Um, but yeah, I signed up as a student for a year visa. And after that, I tried my best to uh, find a sponsor who would hire me to give me, to give me my first uh, working visa, which was uh, much harder than I planned because officially I'm from France and I started to work as an English teacher. Because of that, uh, the very first time I applied as an English teacher to get my first working visa, people at the immigration office looked at me like I had like cancer or something to give me bad news. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you're French. Why would you teach English? And okay, that was a very big shock to me. But finally, I got it anyway. And I started to work as a teacher. I started to make a decent living. Um, after a year of studies, I could get a very decent Japanese level, of course, the reading and the writing were not at the same level because when you interact naturally every day, uh, this is the best way to learn how to produce Japanese verbally, not really on the paper. But still, it, it does the job. Um, quick piece of advice if you want to learn Japanese. Uh, it's good to learn the theory at school, but then for the price of a beer, go for three hours conversation at the bar. That's the best school in the world. <laughs> I, I, I can see that, Remy. And... That's been something I've been thinking about, too, because I have so many times tried to learn Japanese and I, I got to feel that being immersed is the best way to go. And I'd love to have it be where I was finally financially independent enough to where I could just instead of doing that summer school that I'm doing right now is just go to Japan and, you know, possibly work for a friend or, you know, do something while I'm kind of there, but just have those interactions and go from there. That's that sounds like a huge leap. And I didn't know if you know this for me, but it, it's crazy because you had that issue where they're looking at you like you have three heads. And now I'm hearing that language companies are actually like beginning to drift from native English speaking and having to be from a certain area. And now they're actually like, hey, being a native English speaker doesn't mean that somebody could teach English, like yeah, you... it doesn't make you a teacher at all. It makes you, <laughs> it makes you a good speaker, though. But uh, I ended up giving advice of uh, grammar advice, actually English grammar advice to a Canadian when I was still a student in Japanese school. So that's when I realized that they don't know how to use yes. it. They just do it because it comes to them naturally. But then when it's about explaining it, uh, they were doing some. Some of them were doing research because they didn't have a proper teaching license, and they usually didn't study English as a proper subject at school so they don't know the rules uh, <laughs> yes which uh, actually is different for non-native because we had to learn it as a foreign language so we know the rules better than native speakers but we don't speak better than them as we don't sound as native as them obviously there's more than one reason why, why i uh, teach art my friend and not <laughs> english as well so uh, but like that's a big jump though still remy okay so you go to japan to yeah. learn Japanese, which I like hats off to you. But then how do you get to the point of where you're like, I'm going there to learn Japanese, but now I'm wanting to stay and start my yeah. own company. That's that's a quite a shift. Yeah, it was a big leap. Yes, I decided to take it because when I knew I was going to graduate from my business school and the company that was employing me uh, told me that it was a, like a late 28. Um, they knew they, and they told me they couldn't give me a job because the uh, economy was freezing and going really bad. So a lot of people were going like in quick retirement, faster than planned. 
And they said, Remy, we have a lot of work to do and we would like to give you a job because we need you, but we cannot uh, produce an offer because we can't afford it. So I knew I wouldn't be able to stay in working for this company. So I thought, well, uh, I'm now single. Uh, another sad story, but that's not really related. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I have no strings attached in this country besides my family and some friends. Uh, I decided to sell my car. I took uh, my laptop with a few stuff in a bag and a suitcase, of course. Uh, I gave my dog to my father, who was really glad to take care of him. And uh, yeah, I decided just to go because I thought, well, if I have to do it, it would be now. Otherwise, I might be stuck in my routine and a new life, a stable life in France, and I won't be able to do it anymore. So I decided to do it uh, and absolutely no regret. Um, But yeah, it was a long journey, especially as a teacher, because I had to break all the stereotypes of French uh, being bad at languages, which is kind of true everywhere, probably, if you don't travel. I had to learn Japanese in a very short time, especially I had to keep up with the Chinese rhythm, which was very unfair uh, because they all know the kanjis, you know, the Japanese character that are from Chinese originally. Yes. So I had to work double because they all knew that already and I didn't. So it was very hard to keep up with them uh, to stay in the school, which is the, the main reason why I stopped because at some point I knew it was just about kanji absorption and yes. remembering and practicing and this i can do it on my own time i don't have to keep up with the chinese which was crazy insane speed um and was I it like, to make, sorry yes sorry no, and, and was it like um so like you're going there to study and then you have like these these job offers where you're like the economy at that time like we can't offer you something i might as well take this leap like that's like quite inspiring as it is you know for there what is it that that like got you to stay was I'd be like you were going from the very beginning with an intent like I'm going to Japan to live this is where I'm gonna like have a business or was it like I'm gonna learn a language and see how things go my original project was to go to Japan to learn Japanese and as a professional project would be to work for a company in Japan but from France a French company who has a branch in Japan so I could go back and forth to Japan from France you know uh, hopefully with the company paying for that and I would be able to live with my the two countries I really want to live in, which is France and Japan. But my motivation started way before that. Uh, when I first signed up for the Japanese for the business school during the interview, I told them I want to learn Japanese. I want to work in Japan. As many years before I started, uh, I decided to go to Japan. And they told me, well, we have a Japanese option, so you can learn and get some basis, but we cannot guarantee because we need a number of you know a minimum of students signing up for the option to justify hiring a teacher uh the first year not many people were interested so i couldn't get that option uh to be taught and the second year i decided to take it on my own and i gathered some signatures and i i went to the administration i told them look i've got enough people uh you can hire the teacher yeah mr lopez bad news uh we had the teacher and we saw you were motivated so we actually took the first step and contacted the teacher we hire when uh, when we need but she's pregnant and might go to maternity leave in a couple of months. So unfortunately, we cannot hire her right now because she's going to have to leave soon. So I spent my whole uh, business school period without Japanese option and I couldn't study Japanese with a teacher. Uh, but from the beginning, that was my project to work in Japan with connection free spreads. But quickly, I've met people in the train or with different contacts in a bar 
uh, French people from the company Panasonic, which is a huge brand and like everywhere in the world. I met them from uh, French branch in France and they came to Japan to visit. And I saw that they were all all fitting the, the, the stereotype of the salary man. Uh, the salary man, for those of you who don't know, everybody listening uh, to the podcast, this is just the guy waking up at 6 a.m., eating his granola, getting on the train at 7 a.m., go getting to getting to the office at 8 a.m. Yes, one hour commuting in Japan is a very regular time, even more sometimes, uh, working until he has nothing to do and staying even if he has nothing to do because the boss hasn't decided that he's going to go home yet. And once the boss is going home, they say, finally, I can go home. But usually it's sometimes like around 9, 10 p.m. ish and maybe more. And then because of all the stress, all the pressure because of work, they go for a few drinks, they get drunk, they go home, they take a quick shower, fall on the bed, wake up five hours later and do the same thing all over again. And that's something I did not want to do. I, I, I completely agree, my friend. And, you know, I, I wish, um, you know, there's a couple things that I do do differently, but I wouldn't give up my teaching job for what I'm doing with my art and things because of that same thing. Like, I want to be there for my family. Um, I'm fortunate that I can be there. Uh, my dad, um, who is a huge inspiration in my life, was that, you know, person to where he was traveling constantly to provide for my sister, myself, my mom, like to do all of this. He was gone. I don't know how he did it. And he would like arrive back for my coat coat. Like he'd drive multiple states to get back and coach my soccer to flip around to go back out. Like he never stopped. And it meant the world to me, especially having my kids now. And I'm sure your kids are going to look at you in the same way with everything that you kind of do, um, even if it's not salary, man, like all the effort I can tell just from like this initial conversation with you in our past ones, like you do a lot. And I'm sure this is noticed that's here, um, but like it's that's it's great. And I you go through all of this. Now, was it meeting um, your significant other that got you to stay or was it like when you were there, you decided that this is a country not only to kind of have an experience um, like, you know, to where I could kind of go back and forth from France to here. Um, what made it to where you're like, this is going to be my business, my home. Like what led to that? Mm. Uh, so before opening my business, I decided to give it a try in the teaching business. Uh, so I was hired by a dispatch company that gave me a first full-time job as in language assistant teacher for public schools. Uh, that's what we call most commonly ALT. Yes. And, um, everything went really good. Uh, the money was decent. I wouldn't say amazing, but very decent, especially for what I was doing. Uh, and after that, I just were very happy of my result of what I was doing and they started to trust me more and more and give me a better better job. And I realized that even if you don't have a teaching license, like I don't, if you really do your best for a few years, people start to trust you and give you uh, just what you need, what you want, because they don't want you to leave. So that's what happened to me. In 2014, I found a company that really trusted me I uh, gave me everything I wanted, even a better pay uh, with better working conditions. And also, it's not just about work. It's about the fact that I found um, my wife in Japan. Uh, we got married in 2016. Uh, we had our first kid in 2015. 
which was a huge struggle with paperwork, my advice, um, get married first to avoid any complications. Because uh, Japan do always do it with uh, by the book, and when something doesn't respect the book, oh my god, it's a nightmare. But uh, after that, yeah, I uh, I was approached by one of my friends just in 2016, who had his own uh, guided activities business. Uh, for the for the record, if you guys are looking for like a nice activity on the bike, uh, you have Cycle Osaka, and you also have Cycle Kyoto. Two different cities, two, the two major cities in Kansai are very worth uh, visiting. And unfortunately, most people just go there, don't know exactly what to do besides the main landmarks. So yes. if I have an advice to give you guys, just book a tour with them because uh, I've been trained to do that as well. And I'm doing it as well sometimes. Um, and it's great. My God, you see so much more on the bike. That's amazing. And starting working with them in 2016 for friends. We just trust each other. We don't have any contract. We just do it because we all know each other and we appreciate each other and we trust. That's the most important. And about two years later, uh, I had my, I would say my big day, the wedding, you know, takes a long time to organize uh, an international wedding because I had people coming from different countries. And in July, August, 2018, before the big day, my family and friends came from France to visit us and to stay until the wedding and then to go back to France after. So for that occasion, I wanted to do something very special. So I was still working as a guide in Kyoto and Osaka and also as a teacher, but I wanted to do something for my family and friends coming and I organized a few days trip uh, to Hakone. I don't know if you know Hakone. Yes, yes, yes. But that that's... On my list of things to hit when I am no longer a tour guide myself, but I keep on bringing people over to Japan for their first time. So, yes. yeah. Yeah. Hakone is an amazing place, especially for the, you know, the, the onsen, the hot bath. Uh, you can go on the top of a kind of a sleeping volcano with like very uh, sulfury water when you can boil your own eggs and the eggs turn black. That's a nice experience to do. So I wanted to I wanted to organize it with everyone, but also I wanted for the first for my first time as well, and because my friends might not come back to Japan anytime soon or maybe never, I said, okay guys, who is motivated to climb Mount Fuji? And surprisingly, I had more than half people doing it. Um, it was great, but we struggled with so many differences, so many information that were updated very late, and I couldn't get the new information, and I had to adapt myself. Like a, like a travel agent, like a, a guide, and uh, I was in charge of a group. That's yes. my first time doing it on my own time, not professionally, just personally, and I loved it. I loved the pressure. I loved dealing with all the struggles. I loved, like, I had to improvise. I had to find a backup plan for a few things, and I had to do my best, so I was rewarded with amazing smiles in the morning um, and also very tiring faces, but it was a good sign. Um, <laughs> So after that, I just had something happening in my mind. It's like, oh my God, I want to do this on my own. I want to do this on my own time. I want to do this as a job. Why not being paid to do something I love? Yes. I, I found it really quickly that I didn't want to be a salaryman. I didn't want to wear the same suit every day and going, uh, you know, uh, stucking myself in the train to get off to the next station where everybody's going to get off as well and it would be a nightmare. I didn't want to do office hours. I decided that my office would be outside, would be in, in the forest, in the city, everywhere that would take me. So uh, I started to do 
to use my diploma, to use my, uh, my, um, my master's degree. And I did a, uh, a market research. I did uh, all my homework, as you can say. And I decided to open my first activity to create my company into a first, to open my first activity in Nara City for good reasons. Uh, Nara is actually one of the most interesting and one of the richest city in Japanese history, because you have to know that it was the very first capital of Japan, actually. Um, this, further, further than that, you, you also have, to me, the best harmony between city and nature, with all the deers roaming freely in the city. It's amazing experience. It's so lovely. Even just going just to see that, it's amazing. And I already had my friends uh, having their activities in Osaka and Kyoto, and I didn't want to, you know, to interfere with their business and uh, to keep the good connection. So I decided not yes. to open any activity in Osaka and Kyoto inside the city. So I uh, decided to go for bike tours in the first place because I love that. And I invested a lot of money um, in uh, very, very good uh, top quality bicycles, uh, cross bikes to have the best deal between city bikes and road bikes, kind of a hybrid. And after that, I just decided to go for marketing and signing up for OTAs and TripAdvisor gave me my first customer, it was good. Uh, I could guide nearly 100 guests in 2019 because I opened the business uh, in May 2019 and the tours started to roll in July 2019. So I got my first uh, guest in July, that was very quick, which was a good sign. And I quickly had to train some people, so I... um, I, uh, I trained a few people so they could start doing the tour for me because I was still teaching and I was still working very hard in Osaka and Kyoto for my friends. So I was very, very busy. And I started to think, OK, where else can I create good activities? What you have to know is that every activity I create, I create them in a way that I would like to do them myself. In 2011, when I first came to Japan uh, as a student, I got on the bus tour and I got off halfway. I couldn't keep I couldn't keep riding the bus with all the groups. Like that was a nightmare. So I did not want to create those, those kind of experiences when you spend most of the time riding the bus with strangers. Just okay, you can get to know each other, but it's not what it's about. What it's about is discovering the country. It's not just spending your time sitting in a bus and looking outside. Oh, why wow, it looks pretty? Too bad we can't stop. I decided to create the bike tours because you can cover a lot of ground in a very short time, much more than if you walk, and you can stop any time you want. You say, oh, even if you have a guide, say, hey, guide, excuse me, can I stop there just for a few minutes? I'd like to take a picture, or can we go in? And if it's not a problem, sure, let's do it. That's kind of a power of adaptability and flexibility I was looking for. Yeah. So you're, you weren't just looking to be somebody that uh, makes sure people are wearing their masks uh, while they're being guided around. You're, you're <laughs> like and you're and you're not just looking to have it be like a uh, uh, like you're a trip to Disney or something like that, where you have, um, you know, everybody on that set rail um, and it's just being set through. You can't get off the ride. You can't do anything that's there if you don't get the pictures you drive by. Um, you're out of luck or, you know, you can't stop. Um, I, and I, when I'm looking at all the pictures that are on your site, too, and the things that you're offering, um, I can totally tell that is not your style uh, at all. And I am truly excited uh, to be able to share that. And if you are not driving, uh, please go 
to the website and begin to look at it uh, while you listen to Remy uh, go on here a little bit more uh, and just share what they have to offer because it's just uh, it's it's truly uh, something worth looking into. Thank you. Um, the third thing I try to make it special as well is that I don't want to go to hit just the main landmarks, as I said, and to go to where everybody goes. What I wanted to create, and that's one of the one of the very very big interest about these kind of tours I created, is that I live in Japan, so I could take all the time all the time I needed to create strong connections with local people, so they would trust me. Because uh, maybe you're not familiar with it, of course, but Japanese mind they are very uh, very private people. Yes. Uh, I, I wouldn't say narrow minded It's not the same thing. They just like to be left alone, and before welcoming foreigners, especially when they're not specifically like tourist attractions, they would like to know people before doing anything and before welcoming anyone. So it took me sometimes even months. And for uh, Sakai City, which I will talk um, after that, it took me almost two years to create a very strong connection. So the person in charge would trust me and would agree on me bringing people uh, to their place, which is not meant to be for tourists, but which is much more interesting than any tourist attractions I know in the area. Yes. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then um, being able to do that in face, like, you know, in person, you know, face to face, that's also a huge deal uh, to the Japanese as well. And you're right, like uh, the two uh, two years, um, happy to have it. Hopefully you've made some friends or those connections led to other connections for you as well. So, yeah, it took us about two years to create a very strong connection with the, the, the very special partner we found in Sakai City. And we created actually those new tours in Sakai City and Suita City uh, in late February. And then, of course, the COVID happened and everything went down to zero. Uh, we were very, very excited about that period before, it, before that happens. <laughs> because we opened less than a year before, which was very short. And in that short time, thanks to all the guests we could guide, uh, essentially through TripAdvisor and a few direct bookings, we became, in Nara City, the only place we opened activities so far. At that time, we actually became number two, the second most uh, important activities, outdoor activities provider on that platform which was a huge accomplishment. And uh, I was just very motivated and excited about creating more activities that I would do myself and hopefully it would work as well. So yeah, I was really interested in creating uh, new activities in different places, but COVID happened and I had to you know slow down because the finances were going down as well. So yes. uh, I had to put a hold on everything and uh, hopefully I would have time to do it myself from my office, but for many things such as creating connections, you cannot do it from your desk. You have to move and you have to pay transportation. You have to spend countless hours uh, and money just to go there and to create those connections. So that's why also probably it took two years. It would have taken maybe less if I had more uh, financial freedom. <laughs> it's something I wish to, uh, I, I think, uh... I think we all do because if i could just be traveling constantly or have some sort of art studio in japan and mm -hmm. uh travel from that that's my dream for one day uh it's a, it's there and, I, and i'm super 
um, interested even more as you're beginning to set these things up. Was it those adventures in Japan that further like attracted you to Japan? Like, and I know you said biking as part of the things that you are enjoying. Also, what is it about Japan beyond, uh, you know, meeting your fabulous wife? Uh, what was it about Japan that was like that you this is where I want to be? Yeah, you mean what first attracted me to to, yeah. to Japan, essentially. Um, but that's where what really um, created my first interest about Japan. And also after studying Japanese culture, what, my interest changed uh, a little bit. In the first place, of course, when I was a kid, I'm from that generation, born in the 80s, uh, when I grew up with all the uh, Japanese animation, uh, among like other things of City Hunter, Dragon Ball, yes. and all the stuff like that. Uh, without, I mean, we should not uh, forget about Ghibli, which is an amazing animation studio. And I was just fascinated, not just because of the anime that was exciting and quite violent for some kids in the 80s, but still quite good. Uh, now, I was fascinated by the imagination that Japanese had to create such amazing stories. Uh, sometimes they were boring from different culture, like uh, Senseiya is actually from Greece. All the mythology, um, the zodiac sign, everything is not Japanese, technically. But Ghibli is 100% Japanese because Ghibli focuses on one concept, a human that goes against the flow and never goes with it, and nature, where everything goes together, and, and human um, is the only species that doesn't want to go with the flow and just do its, its own way. So it's a very interesting, once you understand this kind of concept, respecting nature and spirit, and human doesn't want to do that, so at some point you have a clash, and that's what usually happens in Ghibli. Uh, it really got me to think that that kind of a culture, that kind of country was very interesting to see from the inside. Um, so I also studied uh, on my own uh, Japanese philosophy with uh, how samurai were thinking about life, um, about living their life, what kind of precept they would follow during their whole life. And I read some complicated books that I still don't, don't get fully, of course, but uh, that was very interesting. And uh, when I was in business school, I did write an essay on Japanese philosophy and how to apply the old samurai uh, philosophy concept in the modern society. And my teacher, when he read that, my management teacher, he said, Remy, when I read your essay, I don't just think that you like the topic. I think that you really want to see it on your own. So my advice, go to Japan. That's the first advice he gave me after he read my essay. And I told him, well, I didn't wait for you for that, but I need some money and I need some skills first. <laughs> yes. So here I am. I'm trying my best to make it happen. <laughs> so, yeah, he could really he could really see that I was interested in not just talking about Japan, but going as well. <laughs> and then uh, with all of that, I mean, like you can see that you had interest before you even left. But now you are in Japan. You've mm -hmm. been there for a little while. You're raising a family. What still excites you the most about living in Japan? From a family point of view and, and person living here, what really excites me the most about Japan is the fact that well, this country is extremely respectful of everything. And that's something I would not be able to get back in my home country. I mean, I'm sorry, I love my country. I'm French and I love France. But Japan has kind of a, I'd say, magic working every day that you can't really explain unless you're Japanese. 
some things that Japanese do, you would feel like that's not possible. People are so cannot be so nice, but they are. And that's also a double-edged sword. It can be yes. extremely positive, but after a few years living in Japan and because it's a big end speaking Japanese as well, it turns to be something quite annoying sometimes. <laughs> um, so at the very beginning, you, you get to Japan and of course, uh, I could not speak English perfectly, but I was good enough. And the problem is Japanese don't speak English very well either, but they try their best. Uh, of course, they couldn't speak French. I mean, who would in, in, in Japan? And I couldn't speak Japanese. So even though I couldn't speak Japanese and they could barely speak a few words of English, they were trying their best to help me. So which was always great. When you travel for the first time, don't be afraid of speaking English with very simple words uh, to a Japanese, because if they can, if they just remotely can, they will try their best to help you. That's amazing. I see you like taking this at some point in time, Remy, uh, and uh, see you booking tours for uh, people that want to go to, you know, France and uh, that are Japanese from Japan and just be like, be able to, you know, running back and forth with it because if I was going to pick anybody and I, I had a few friends that were in Japan and they always wanted to go to France. Like that's like a common theme of things that's here. Maybe that, I know, right? <laughs> uh, maybe that business that you're going to have is going to come like this uh, international one and I'll wave at you as you're, you know, flying by in your private jet one day. But <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, like, but I, um, one other thing, like with you being there, I love to ask people because not everyone is as into a pork cutlet with uh, curry as I am. They have their own favorite foods. Um, what are your favorite foods in Japan? And what places would you, if you're going to pick a place to visit for a snack, what is Remy's top choice? All right. Uh, so my favorite food, besides sushi, which I love, I'm a foodie. What is something you have to know about me is that I'm a foodie. I don't eat one thing because I like it. I'm eating one thing because I found the best place to find that kind of food. Uh, I do have favorite places. For example, as I have a very sweet tooth and... I can tell that uh, Japanese have amazing sweets. It doesn't really fit everybody's palate, to be honest. You have what's called mochi, which is kind of a rice cake, which is kind of a jelly rice uh, paste. Yes. It's, it's not for everyone, but myself, I love the, the red bean paste uh, mochi, which is called uh, a daifuku. So you have the daifuku with a red bean paste, but you also have the mame daifuku with a red bean paste and full beans mixed inside the rice cake. It's usually sweet, but I found that some places, very local places, they don't expose everywhere, they don't sell on a regular shop. Uh, they're very small local and they're just, they move from one place to another every day. Uh, so it's kind of a chasing to get my sweet. They also make the red bean paste that is sweet, but they dip the beans in, salty, in salt mix and then they in they integrate it to the mochi that makes a very great mix of salty and sweet uh, snack. It's so good. The balance, the, you know, the, the breaking with the salt and the sweet in your mouth is amazing. It's way better than just sweet. You also have the, the melon bread. Yes. Yes, that you, might be, you, you must be familiar with. Uh, it's called melon pan in Japan. And at the very beginning, it used to be designed like a melon with melon cream, but they created that more and more just to be a sweet bread, very basic yes. one for kids, for a very for bread to 
be extremely sweet and very easy to eat from all the kids to get a huge volume of bread for snack because Japanese burn a lot of calories usually at school, all the kids. And I found after countless tries, countless um, shopping in different places, I found the best bakery that offers the best uh, melon bread, which is um, damia bread, looks like a proper melon from the outside, green, and inside you've got cantaloupe, so uh, Hokkaido style melon, which is the, um, the orange, the orange melon inside, with melon cream and real pieces of melons inside. The taste is just mind-blowing. It's like biting inside a, a melon. So good. And unfortunately, those, this bakery has only two shops and both in Tokyo. So usually once every two months, that shop exposed in one of the department store in Osaka. So usually when I see them, usually as a coincidence, because I cannot have their schedule, I buy like five, six and I freeze them. And I, I defrost them anytime I want. Remy, when you're not just being, uh, a, you know, dad and shuttling, you know, you know, around, what are your go to locations to visit in Japan? Well, I'm a nature lover, so I wouldn't say cities because I've been to Tokyo, I've been to Osaka, I've been to all major cities. And if you don't want to be uh, mixing with all thousand tourists around, Kyoto is probably not the place to go unless you've never been because it's something to do once. But uh, as I said, I love nature and that's the reason why I created my first activities in Nara because more than just the city, I love just getting on my bike and explore the surroundings, the forest. Uh, just It's just magical. Of course, if you don't have a bike, it might be quite hard, but it, they also have... Uh, a few very good historical hike trails, which is very easy to do in one day, and they are so well organized that you can actually start the trail from uh, the city walking. And then once you get at the end of the trail, you can hit an onsen to relax. And the city has a bus taking people from that place, bringing them back to the city center so you don't have to walk your way back. So it's very well organized and really good and cheap, actually, because, yeah, you walk. But besides that, you have also Takeda Castle. So Takeda Castle has been uh, designated just a few years ago as the Japanese Machu Picchu. It's a mind-blowing place to see. Uh, it's, it's interesting to go there, but the, the, the scenery you can see from the other mountain, not the mountain of the Takeda Castle, but the opposite mountain where you can see the visuals of the ruins with the clouds just above ground level. Ah, it's gorgeous. And that was west from Osaka. Nara is more east. You also have Mie Prefecture, slightly further east after Nara. That is one of the key places for ninjas. They have great activities, ninjas, uh, centers, and museum. And north of Osaka, I would say, of course, besides the obvious Kyoto, you have a place called Tottori. And Tottori, you have the sand dunes. Yes, yes, I, I've seen pictures of that, and that looks amazing, too. That looks amazing, but I don't recommend to go during summer because this, the, it's just so hot that yeah. even the, the sand burns your feet. So I would recommend to go between, uh, yeah, basically between October and May, after May and before October. Uh, if you care about your feet and want to walk <laughs> without worrying about having blisters, yeah, don't go there. But uh, yeah, it's really good. They even have camels that kids can ride. <laughs> That's great. Um, but that's all about Japanese culture. If you miss, uh, like me, if you have some homesick sometimes, surprisingly, you do have a lot of places 
based on different countries. You have, and I'm, I'm sorry if, uh, if anyone from, um, uh, from the Netherlands who is listening to, the post- to this podcast, but they have a place called Hustenbosch. It is very gorgeous at night. The light show is amazing. The hotel looks like a proper uh, building from Europe with the inside as well, like a, a little bit of 16th, 17th century, really beautiful. The breakfast is mind-blowing with a lot of cheese, of course, I'm in Netherlands. And it's, it's fun. Uh, you also have Spain Muda, the Spanish village. So a lot of stuff like that because Japanese are fascinated by other cultures and they try to bring them back to their own country. So if you're a bit homesick, you might find some things that you might like, even if you're still in Japan. Uh, I haven't seen French village yet, but I'm still hoping for it. Uh, hopefully affordable. That, that for me was, uh, I've said this on, like I feel like almost every podcast, but my homesick moment was Hiroshima and being in Chicago. One of the things we're known for besides pizza is hot dogs. So being able to have a hot dog at uh, Good Time Funari uh, when I was in Hiroshima was like that 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 little bit of uh, homesick remedy that I needed at that point in time and left me just enjoying my trip. So I bet living there, like having those places means even more to you now. Mm. But on a more personal matter, because I don't have time to travel every day as you know, I have a job. Uh, I am also very busy with my own company, managing everything, marketing. And I, um, I have a family and kids. My place to go if I'm a little bit homesick or if I want to buy something, I wouldn't say unusual, but something that reminds me more of my place in Europe and Western culture. Well, uh, good you're from Chicago because thank you, America, for bringing Costco to Japan. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, nothing beats, uh, you know, um, a big pizza from the food course for an affordable price and a big piece of Parmesan from Italy. Uh, that you can actually buy very easily there. I said that is very true. And that's one of those things like being there, I would have to have a Costco membership. Mine just might be a little bit further down the line, but I'm, I'm going to keep that as a note uh, recommendation yep. for myself one day too. That yeah. sounds wonderful. Yeah, better than Universal Studios or Disneyland. Man, <laughs> Costco is my personal amusement park. When I go there, I spend way too much money, but it's always worth it. I like that. And Remy, I know you've been in Japan for a while now, but you being a tour mm-hmm. guide, I think, provides like with your business and adding all these different tours. And we're going to go into some other things a little bit later um, that you're doing as well. You're doing so much. But if you were going to give a travel hack or hacks for Japan for someone like my like, like that hasn't been to Japan before or even myself, where you've been a few times, like, what would they be? Okay, so you have actually three different things. Uh, not all, two of them are about transportation, because as you know, transportation is not very cheap in Japan, uh, depending on what you want to do, uh, how often you want to do it, and where you want to go. And also one very important hack that most travelers must be aware of, but not everyone think about it. Number one, to be able to get some advantages as you're a tourist, so you're not Japanese, always get your passport with you, or if you don't have your passport with you, it's fine, but uh, take a picture of your passport and put it in your phone. Why do I say that? It's because of course, when you go shopping, you can get the tax back, of course, and you can, uh, you know, kind of uh, save the taxes when you get to the airport and get the money back. That's, everybody knows that, and most people know about it. But also when it's about visiting places, a lot, and I mean, really a lot of places that are not located in, in, in the top touristic sector, uh, some less touristic places, 
provides some advantages, discounts, and sometimes free uh, souvenirs, gift, or access to non-Japanese people. But even if you look Caucasian, of course, it's obvious that you're not prob- you're probably not Japanese, but they will need the proof. So if you just even provide a picture of your passport, for example, in Nara, you have Yoshikien, which is a great garden, and I chose to include in, in the highlights bike tour because originally Yoshikien was uh, providing free access to any foreigner with a passport to prove they're not from Japan. At the very beginning, some people actually forgot their passport in 2019 when I, when I still had a guest. And when they forgot the passport, I told them, I told the staff, listen, look, look at them. They're not, Jap- they're not Japanese. They don't speak Japanese. They're not from Japan. They said, I'm sorry, sir, but without the passport, we cannot let them in for free. So I had to pay for the access. But if you do have your passport on you, even just a picture, and they see that the country is not Japan, you can go in for free. And many sites offer those kind of uh, bonuses for non-Japanese people just to attract more travelers in in order to boost tourism in the area. So that's one of the hacks. Always get your passport with you or at least a picture if you don't plan on going shopping because the passport is very important for the taxes. But it's also very important to get access to more for less. And that is a great recommendation, especially as things open back up and we can travel again. Um, That is huge. That is definitely huge. And one of the things I like to ask as well, and I know it's kind of hard, uh, Remy, at the point that we are right now, while we're still waiting for like a full reopening of Japan. But what advice could you give to someone who is looking for employment eventually like with your company? or maybe similar uh, companies, what would your advice be, Remy? Well, indeed, it's a tough question, especially in these kind of situations right now. But um, first of all, I would say, get your Japanese level to, uh, to a point where you can handle a very complicated conversation, because in my um, domain of expertise, as not, not just as a business owner in Japan, but as a guide, we expect people to speak two different languages at least, which is English for all the guests because this is the global language and the easy way to communicate with guests. But Japanese is also extremely important because if anything, and I mean anything happens from um, a man needing advice to buy a souvenir to uh, maybe someone broke the leg uh, walking on the on a bad stone and just twisted their ankle, cannot continue the tour or get in trouble with someone by, you know, bumping someone or maybe on the bike can happen. You know, someone doesn't pay attention and hit someone and injure someone. And, oh, that's a big deal, of course. The very important role of a guide would be to speak, to be the, the, the link between those two cultures. So you need the English for the guest, but you also need a very good level of Japanese to be able to handle any conversation and deal with uh, Japanese locals as well as police, if anything happens, the ambulance, the hospital, anything to make to make the transition between those two cultures as smooth as possible for the guests and to avoid any complication and any hassle that could hit any international traveler who doesn't speak in, uh, Japanese. That's your role to make it just easier for everyone. And that's that's huge. I, I could see that a hundred times over. And Remy, uh... Now that we have a little bit about yourself, uh, more than a little bit, really, but 
I'd like to move on to um, Japan Tour Adventure and have you share a little bit more about that. Um, One of the first things I'd like to ask just is if someone's reaching out to you, Remy, and they have one thing they can do with you and they've only this is their first trip to Japan. Do you Mm -hmm. have kind of a go to for them? And then. On the flip side of that, what if you have someone who's been to Japan multiple times and is looking to do something with you? What would you recommend for them? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, well, if it's the first time, you don't want to miss the main landmarks, of course, because you want to see what everybody's seen and why people say it's so amazing. So, for example, as as I said, I do not do Osaka and Kyoto because those my partners do that, of course, and they do it really well and Cycle Osaka and Cycle Kyoto. But for me, I would say that Nara, which is still an acorn, but it's growing really quickly in terms of tourism. So if you guys want to travel to Japan, I highly recommend you to join us in Nara before the business explodes and that Nara becomes the new Kyoto and I hope it will not, to be honest. I, I could I could see that for sure, like where it's like, yeah, yeah, like take advantage now. I said before, you don't want it to be to a point to where it was just that sea of people. You can't get around anywhere. And it's just a huge tour group after huge uh, tour group. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Uh, and most people, I mean, a lot, not everyone, but a lot of people are also interested in Japanese nice because the Japanese cutlery is extremely famous all around the world. Uh, the most famous chefs all around the globe use Japanese knives uh, because it's just extremely well-made, great quality, very solid. And uh, I think also the reputation of Japanese knives is not uh, to question anymore. Everybody knows how good they are. So unfortunately, I had the unpleasant experience to be also victim of tourism industry. Let me just uh, develop a little bit. The thing is, I bought a knife for my dad many years ago uh, when I was living in Japan and I had no idea where to go, of course, because that's my first time dealing with Japanese knife uh, shopping. So I ended up going to a place where people actually uh, knew us in Sakolo Saka with my friend uh, and they welcomed me. It's okay. Uh, we speak English, Japanese, French, uh, German, any language you want, probably we have it. It's great. It's amazing. And I found a great knife. Oh, wow pretty good. Oh, it's a bit expensive, but it looks so nice. I bought it for like, it was almost like 150 bucks, basically, $150. But it was so well made, so well balanced for the knife size and everything. You expect something to be quite heavy, but it was extremely light. It looks so amazing. So I bought it and I gave it as a present to my dad, who loved it completely. He, he tried it a few times. Oh my God, it's so good. And A couple of years later, when I started to create my business, I started to discover more about the Japanese knife business because I created that uh, very good uh, partnership with uh, Kikuichi company in Nara. They have a history of over 750 years old uh, history. It's mind-blowing. They even made, in during the Kamakura period, over 700 years ago, they made a katana for the emperor of Japan. And in 1920s, they made a katana on demand for the heir of the throne of England. Wow, that's yes. amazing. Uh, I don't remember who it was, it was a man uh, who was going to become the new king of England and in the in 1920s, and he came to Japan and he asked them, okay, can you please make me a katana? So they did it. That's kind of, that kind of a high quality image 
you cannot fake that. This is just an amazing quality. And in that shop, I found the exact same knife. It wasn't coming from Kikuichi when I bought the knife back in the days, but it's exactly the same, um, the same features. The three layers, petty knife, like 12 centimeters blade with an Western slightly red handle, really beautiful, beautiful craft. And I see the price and I started to feel, oh my God, this is just insane. The one I bought was 150 bucks. The one I had in front of my eyes were 50 bucks. Wow. Yeah. Three times as much. Three times as much for good reason is that you have transportation, you have middlemen, you have also the extra cost for, you know, providing like a multilingual staff, everything. Of course, it makes sense. And if you don't know where to go, if you don't have any contacts, those kind of places are amazing for people willing to buy knives. But then you realize that you could get three of those knives for the same price if you had the right contacts. And that's just crazy. So in Nara, I still, because I love this kind of place, I still take my guests uh, on both bike tours to Kikuichi Knife because uh, they're just so nice and they um, deliver the knife directly from their factory to the shop where we go. So there's no middleman. There's just a tiny, tiny, um, uh, tiny price for delivery, you know, the extra cost. And that's it. Absolutely no extra cost, which is why it can be that cheap. And as I said, in 2020, I uh, created, I started to create the connection in Sakai where people can actually go to a proper knife factory. So I don't even take people to a shop when they're buying. I take them to the place where they receive the blades from the blacksmith when they are sharp the blade, the raw blade, when they make the final product with the handle and the blade, and they can actually make a knife on demand in front of you if you want. And for that, the price is just so crazy for an amazing top-notch quality. And, and I don't know how many, we've, we've talked a few times before this today, Remy, and I think every single time we've talked, I brought up that knife, uh, it, you know, adventure uh, experience, and I don't know how many people I've, to- I've told, uh, you know, I've told my dad, I've told my friend, you know, Josh, that travels with me, told my buddy Mike, like, that's one of those things that just so unique, like so unique. Uh, for me, one of my favorite things that I did was I got to blow my own glass and make my own glass that I still have in my cabinet behind me. And that was one of my favorite things I've ever done. But to have something that not only is just going to sit in a case <laughs> that I can look at and remember my trip, but actually have something you could use, like that's huge. So it's like so huge. Exactly. I stopped a long time ago when I go traveling somewhere to buy something I would just expose on my my living room, something that I would just collect dust. And I'm like, yeah, that's not yes. really useful. But a knife is always a great piece of craft. It's a great souvenir as well. And it's something very convenient if and I say if you learn how to treat it correctly. Because I've seen people just ruining Japanese knife because you don't sharpen it the way Western people do it. You have to use the proper stone. You have to use not very sophisticated technique, but you must learn the basis to know how to treat it well. So if you treat a Japanese knife well, it can last you a lifetime. You will never have to change it unless you get tired of it. And for that, I developed the tour around the knife, but not just the shopping. It's not a shopping activity. Shopping is optional. It's not what you're signing signing up for. You explore the unknown uh, the unknown side of the knife industry because you go 
from the shopping station to the main office, you see local people working like you're not even here. They're not going to pay attention to you. You just observe how a Japanese factory is working daily. And we take you upstairs to the meeting room where our guys who were trained professionally by the knife factory staff to teach you in English how to sharpen a knife uh, if you decide to buy some knives so you know how to treat them nicely once you get home. Huge. That's huge. Uh, I mean, that in and of itself is something you could just, you know, pay. Like, I don't know how much I'd pay for it, but that sounds like, you know, definitely an add on. So besides Gareth and his, uh, uh, you know, bicycle tours that he had in Osaka uh, that that I'm going to have to be a part of, I'm like, I'll be reaching out to you, Remy, for next uh, summer. Uh, There'll be at least two of us coming through uh, to try to book that together with you. And that's great. I'll be waiting for you, Michael, and I'll be very glad to welcome you in person. Love it, my friend. And besides those recommendations that you've had, what are some of the most popular tours that when we had this tourism going and things are going again and again and again, what were those ones that seem to have like that biggest request? Like, hey, I have to do this. Yeah. Well, the biggest request is definitely the Nara Highlight Bike Tour uh, that we offer. That's actually the very first product. And for good reason is that because we cover uh, all the main landmarks and we know that's what people want to see in the first place. But we also stop at more local places, including the Kikuichi knife shop. So people have um, a different vision of what Nara is about, not just uh, Todaiji, the Buddhist temple and the the big gates and Kasukataisha shrine. So we cover the main landmarks plus a few extras. and we do like in three hours, maybe three and a half hours, we do what most people uh, do in one full day walking. And then at the end, people don't know what to do and where to go because they don't know, they don't know what to do. They, do. they don't know anything about the surroundings of the city. So the second most popular tour uh, is still in Nara and it's called the Heart of Nature. This tour focuses on just leaving the city, just the word tourist is the word you will never say during this tour unless, wow, no tourist. That's the only, <laughs> only time you're yeah. going to hear it. We take people to the forest of Kasuga Taisha, Kasuga, uh, sorry, Kasuga, Kasugayama Forest. Kasugayama Prime Forest is one of the very rare forests. It's not a place. It's the whole forest that is now a world heritage site uh, in Japan. And you have some mind-blowing places that were, I would say, I wouldn't say hidden, but forgotten, even by locals. And most people don't know where it is because they forgot about it. And I've been taking people uh, a few times. I've, did, I've done some uh, trial tours as well. And uh, most, more recently, from um, uh, Rediscover Tours, Rediscover Japan, I took uh, Jeff on the tour because he found me on the internet and he was very interested in, you know, um, creating a partnership. But he said, Remy, um, I would like to take one of your tours because before uh, putting you in our database and recommending you to our get to our customers, we would like to have a trial and see how you do it. So of course, I said, I will welcome you anytime. Just let me know. And he came one day uh, in Nara and uh, I told him, you've seen the landmarks more often than probably anyone around here. So let's just do something different. I will take you on the heart of nature. And it is slightly more physical than usual because 
Nara is uh, quite hilly, but also you go cycling in the forest on a proper trail, so it's not concrete. You must uh, challenge yourself a little bit because you need a bit of stamina, but it's also very rewarding when you're done. And you see things that you will never see again. Even if you live in Japan, most things I'm taking people to, most people don't even know they are where they are. So it's a, it's a rediscover of the Nara area as you see some things that you didn't even know existed. And it's very, very nice. It's huge. And Jeff, like I know, spoke highly of you and was super excited to uh, get us in touch. And I could tell uh, when he's excited, uh, that says a lot uh, to who he's, he's introducing to somebody, because I'm sure it's not everybody that he's doing that for. So I'm truly thankful that he reached out to you and that we get to talk today. And well, so am I. <laughs> you know, me too, buddy. And I, one thing I have, though, that I've gotten the most from doing this show uh, for about a year now is that I've been to Japan numerous times and I got to this thought that I don't need a guide, Remy. I've been to Japan multiple times. I have been a guide for others. I had seven friends come with me. I helped show them around. But from doing all these interviews, I've been missing out a lot. Uh, what are some things that a listener might not expect to see or experience when they actually explore Japan with a guide? Well, the word guide is quite confusing sometimes. Many people think that a guide is the, the person welcoming them at the airport and staying with them 24 seven uh, during their whole trip. So a guide like that, I would say, if you're organized and if you like to travel on your own, is not necessary. Um, what you need to, to make sure that you can see as much as you can in a very short time and you will not miss on the most important and most famous places, but also you will have the chance to explore some I would say more unknown places, uh, I would say off the beaten tracks, is to hire, it's not to hire a guy, but it's to sign up for an experience that would take you um, where you did not expect. So also that would take you where you could not go on your own because you don't have the access. For example, uh, yes. the heart of nature, you need a proper good cross bike with very strong tires. And if anything happens, the guy does everything for you to be covered. We have spare tires, spare tubes, everything, first aid kit. We are covered. We cover you the whole uh, during the whole experience. So if anything happens, we are here for you. We, we are the assistance. That's also very important, especially if it's, it could be a little bit dangerous in the forest, for example, as yes. uh, you don't necessarily have a signal on your phone as well. So it could be quite hard. <laughs> um, so we're here for you here. Uh, for the knife factory, as I said, it's not a shop. So besides us, Nobody else can go inside the building to get those kind of experiences and to get the chance to create your own knife to observe. I mean, if you show up at the building and say, hello, we would like to see your knife. People are going to say, well, go to the shop. It's a, it's a few hundred. <laughs> it's right down the street. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, leave us alone. We're working here. So yeah. it's not going to work. That's what I've tried to create from the beginning, especially because of what you just said. I don't need a guide. I've never hired a guide to show me around in the country. But after creating this kind of experiences, I understand the fact that I don't need a guide, but I don't mind signing up for an experience, providing me uh, gear, equipment I wouldn't be able to get on my own and access to yes. some places that I wouldn't be able to get to uh, even with my friends 
if I don't have someone to open the door for me. So that kind of re- for that kind of reason, I sometimes I sign up for experiences to make sure I get the best out of my trip. Yes. And that's that's a huge deal, too, because that's part of why my son and I didn't apply to go this summer. Um, I don't want to be in a group like that. I don't want a babysitter. <laughs> you know what? I don't want someone that tells me where I have to go and eat and, you know, all of those different things that are there. Uh, but those experiences are exactly it. One of those experiences that is on my list, too, um, that's outside of what you provide right now. Mm-hmm. But I hope it's still there when things open back up was an experience where I could go make my own jeans. So it's kind of like the same thing with your knife. I could actually go make my own jeans and then bring those home with me. Oh, wow. That's an experience that, you know, I, I like I, I'd sign up for as well. Uh, your knives are going to be a part of that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, beyond my baseball games that I'm looking to go through. I, it's just uh I see this being a couple of things, you know, days that are going to be a part of what I'm doing. And like you said, you're going to get the most out of that time you're there, especially if you're limited. For a lot of people, they may end up in Osaka. They may end up in Tokyo. They may end up in Kyoto and have very limited time outside of that. If you're going to do that, make the most of your time. And I I definitely see you doing that. And are there any uh, limitations or group size restrictions, age restrictions for your tours. I'm assuming some of them do have, you know, some sort of age restriction on them. But uh, what are some restrictions that might come with those uh, experiences? Yes, absolutely. There are a few restrictions. Uh, For example, the bike tours, uh, we do not uh, accept young kids uh, like like under 14 years old. We have designed a very specific tour for families with uh, young riders or for kids who cannot really ride a bike so they can actually ride with the parents with a child seat that we can provide for free. Uh, with the electric bike in one of our partners in Nara City, for example. In Sakai City, we have the same kind of tours with uh, regular city bikes or electric assistant bikes and we can also provide child seats for no extra cost so anyone can sign up for a private tour families so they can the best time even with kids uh, on the bike tour. For the walking tours there's no many limitations uh, because it doesn't require any specific skills. Um, in Nara the craft beer and sake walking tour is even kids friendly because it's not just about getting drinking a lot of beers of course it's about uh, testing a new food and exploring the, the very local touristic, almost touristless area of Naramachi. Um, and the kids pay less because, of course, they will have their own food and drinks. But because they don't drink alcohol, obviously, uh, we give them a discount. Uh, even the knife factory is wheelchair accessible because even though we have to go to the third floor in the very small building of the, of the knife factory, they have a small elevator. So even in that situation, we definitely can uh, accept people with wheelchair, no problem. That's huge. That's huge. And being able to provide uh, something for everybody is uh, great Mm -hmm. in that regard. Now, with, uh, you know, I admitted uh, something that you pointed out to me too, listeners. Hey, I I went to Remy's website a few times. I, I, you know, for large chunks of time checking things out, but I missed a portion of it, my friend. Um, when I was looking through, I did not click on one of your tabs at the top and you pointed that out to me like, hey, Mike, uh, did you notice this? What is that this that I was talking about? Like you, have, oh, <laughs> that one. I think it's 
it, it is definitely easy to miss. <laughs> yes, yes. So we have, um, because of the pandemic, we had to innovate a little bit in terms of uh, tours. And because of my quite now long experience as an English teacher, I also worked in the Eikaiwa business. If you're not familiar with the Eikaiwa um, uh, designation, it means English conversation school. So it's not about teaching English, but it's about helping people using English uh, so they would get some more skills and they would become more fluent. So the concept of the Eikaiwa is to sit at a cafe or a small office, face each other and asking just regular questions to make people comfortable with the routine questions, listening to them, try to correct them a little bit, maybe including some grammar, uh, grammar structure, so they would be able to use a more sophisticated English level next time, and just to make them talk and talk. Uh, we are kind of, sometimes we can be considered as a very cheap shrink because they talk about their own private life and they want advice sometimes, that's a bit weird. But this business has been flourished for the last 15, 20 years easily, very, very, very flourishing. And the problem is there are a lot of limitations. For example, you're always in a very friendly environment with someone ready to listen to you and to wait until you can build your own sentence. So there's actually no real life pressure. It's not a real life situation. It's, it's cheating because you practice, but you don't practice in, in uh, real life. You practice in an office with someone paid to wait for you to say what you have to say. So what we decided to create, we called it Ego Tour. Ego means English in Japanese. So the concept is simple. With a series of documents, people meet the staff of Japan to Adventure, get the part one. They have to, they need to, to use their uh, cell phone with an internet connection. Nowadays, everybody has a smartphone, so it's not really a problem. Uh, internet connection, working speakers, and hopefully a decent, just a decent camera, like an iPhone 4, uh, iPhone 5 is enough usually, um, because you have to take a few pictures as souvenirs, and also you have to scan some QR codes. We included some QR codes in the book, so what is written in the book, you can at the same time listen to it with your phone because we have an audio file. So at the same time that you're reading, you can actually listen to it for the pronunciation. It makes it easier for you to understand. You can also watch videos about uh, what you're supposed to learn about. Then you have to answer a few questions to, for your own uh, knowledge, for your own education, to know if you understood everything, if you remember uh, everything about uh, what you just learned about. Then the second part is where the wall must be broken. You start producing, you stop listening and writing a little bit, you start producing on your own. When you have to stop strangers on the street and ask them a few questions, not very complicated question, but it helps you breaking the wall of sh shame uh, from failing. The fear of failing is very strong for Japanese, and usually if they don't speak a decent English, they're so afraid of failing that they don't even try uh, in the first place because they, they don't want to be embarrassed. And unfortunately, that's a very common behavior from Japanese. So in the second part, you really break that wall and you take the first step and you ask some people 
uh, in English, a few a series of very basic questions and you have to write the answer and you take a selfie with those people you interviewed as a proof. Uh, then you visit uh, some very local places where people were specifically chosen there because they can speak English. So you will not be able to interact in Japanese, but you also can interact in English the whole time. And finally, you will do some challenges such as origami, uh, that we're making a souvenir that you can take home actually. You can try some costume and take amazing photo shoot in sumo costume or kimonos and stuff like that, or fisherman costume as well. Uh, if you want to go for a role play, I don't know what you want to do. And you can also have a very fun calligraphy challenge to write your name in kanjis as a foreigner or as uh, a Japanese, write a foreign name, a foreign word that was adapted in Japanese using kanjis, but most Japanese don't know about it. So it's very challenging for Japanese as well, Japanese people. <laughs> This activity is great for two categories of people. Number one, the, re the, main, the main reason why we created it in the first place is Japanese people who are willing to challenge themselves with friends, with families, as a team, to go from one place to another and to complete the tour on their own. Uh, the second category is specifically targeting, actually, travelers who don't want to have a guide 24-7. As you said, it's annoying, specifically if you want to go walking, you don't risk anything or almost nothing. You want to take your time. You don't want to uh, watch your clock and, uh, you know, uh, spending only 10 minutes there, 15 minutes there. No, you want to be free. And for that, you can actually do that activity as a group and go everywhere in the book. Plus, you're free to stop anywhere in the meantime. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You can add anything extra you want on the way. All you need to do is to meet the staff at the end once you completed everything, and it doesn't matter what you did in the meantime, what extra thing you did will be there waiting for you. Of course, we have a time limit, but this tour takes about three, four hours to do, and we give people six hours so they can get the best out of it and explore further, even though it's not in the book, they're free to do whatever they want, because with a phone, they have Google, Google map. All right, our next stop is there. Oh, in the meantime, We, in the middle, there's that place. I want to go there. Sure, feel free to do it. You're completely free to do it. You don't have to watch the time too much. And you're basically semi-assisted. It's not entirely um, guide-free because we provide the documents and we're here for you to assist you, but we don't stay by your side nonstop to watch you. You do whatever you want. Um, and that's like you said, the difference between um, a guide and providing an experience and you're providing just a a second uh, experience for sure uh, with that. And just like your um, experiences that you offer, are there a limit to the size that these groups can be or a minimum for these type of uh, tours? Well, these tours are very different because as I said, they are semi-assisted. So the guy doesn't have to stay with the group. And because you do it by team, um, you meet the staff at the very beginning, but then you're on your own. So There's not really a limit. We set the limit to 50 people to be able to be competitive and attract schools, for example, or companies for, you know, team spirit, team building activities. That's also a very important um, market for us. And families, tourists with kids who wants just to have fun, to stop by the park on the way. Everything is free to do whatever they want. We limit only one thing, the number of members per team. For example, if you're 10 people, we will not provide only one, one document. We will ask people to split in two teams. Uh, I would say one team would be usually 
let's say six people maximum, usually five, six people uh, average. So if like if you're a seven, I would say, yeah, let's try to keep it like four and three. But on, if, yes. you, if you have young kids inside, they're not counted as members. They can just get along, uh, ride along with you, walk along. So uh, in that case, of course, like uh, five adults and two kids, like, okay, let's keep one team. It's all right. But if you're like, um, I don't know, uh, six adults and four kids, yeah, okay, let's split three adults and three adults and let's put the kids with them so it's going to be better. And it's going to be more challenging because everybody's going to go to the same place in the end. So you might meet each other on the way. Uh, you must have fun and it's becoming more challenging as you want to beat the other team. That's also kind of a fun part because it's not just a semi-assisted activity. I would say it's kind of a mix between exploration, scavenger hunt and quiz about the place you visit. And as I said, because we carefully chosen every places people are going to stop by, uh, they can also speak English. So you will not be lost in translation, which minimize the risk of, you know, needing a guide. And even though that's my favorite movie, uh, Remy, Lost in Translation, um, that's not how you want to be. <laughs> so I and providing those experiences uh huge uh like great idea especially right now mm -hmm. um and even going forward just uh because i feel like with anything once you break that first barrier of starting to do it i see that something somebody would want to repeat and then just be more comfortable not worrying about failure uh being that you're in kind of an assisted safe environment mm -hmm. uh, when you do so so that's that's huge that's huge and one of the things when I was checking out your site, I saw the books that are also a part of this. Um, you have one that is, you know, like published, printed, and you have in hand, and another that's being worked on. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. Uh, as you, uh, as I said before, uh, Nara was the very first places we created our activities. So we focused on Nara as before, because we created our activities in the first place there. And... Um, Kikuichi company really liked, I would say, my dynamic uh, behavior, my energy, and they said, uh, Remy, do you plan on staying in Japan? Well, I'm I'm creating a business here. I'm not planning on going home uh, every weekend, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay here. Yeah. I'm living in Japan. So, all right, would you like to um, maybe be introduced as a member of Board of Tourism of Nara City, which is a huge... Uh, a huge opportunity, especially as a foreigner. So I, uh, I am now actually, um, I would say in poor parlay <laughs> uh, to be a board member. And it's gonna take months, maybe even years because they have to check everything in the, for the company, for my background on personal level and professional level as well. It's gonna take a long time, but uh, yeah. Nara is definitely um, the first place I'm focusing on to be able to make everything official, especially for the Ego Tour, to have the marketing uh, resources to be, um, you know, uh, promoted as a nice activity for Japanese people. Uh, we have the second activity going, it's still on the make because it takes more time. Uh, it's in Kyoto, where we don't have any proper connections yet. And uh, surprisingly, Kyoto is probably one of the most, even maybe the most uh, touristic place, touristic city in the country besides Tokyo. Surprisingly, they're not really interested in creating partnership with foreigners, even if it could provide them more uh, business, especially with Japanese people themselves. We don't wait for people to come back uh, uh, from overseas. 
but they're not so interested. So we are now struggling to find the last partner, uh, but uh, we, we're not giving up. We're still, uh, we're still trying our best. And the third book that is not on the make yet, but we are just discussing about this, is in Sakai City, where we have the bike tour and the, and the knife tour, uh, where we were already able to create some significant connections with the Chamber of Commerce and Industry of the city. And we also have a connection at the city hall. So very soon we are going, we have a meeting planned to go there and to introduce the concept of Ego Tour. And we, we will just ask them, are you interested in creating this kind of activity for schools and companies and maybe future travelers? Uh, in Sakai City. If yes, um, we will really hope for a nice gesture, hopefully financial, to help us because it takes months to create, to design, uh, traveling, uh, exploring the city, to choose the best places, to get all the information, and for the editing, to create the books and the design it takes like countless hours. I didn't. It, for the first book, it took nearly a year and a half because we are starting from zero. So it does take a long time and. If I want to take time to create a new book in a different city, I would rather have some support from that city. That would make sense. No, for, for sure. I think for both of you, because then it's a vested interest for both groups. And let's hope, uh, Remy, maybe uh, when I come visit next summer, we can celebrate, uh, you know, those partnerships and uh, you being recognized for both of those things. And that that would be fantastic as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, I know uh, right now uh, for everybody, uh, COVID's that biggest challenge that um, all businesses uh, and companies are facing right now. Um, what are some other challenges that you are uh, facing right now? Is it mainly just like like you said, those projects and trying to get the Ego Tours going? What are the ch um, challenges you're facing right now uh, with your company? Well, with my company, the main challenge is not um, creating new tours, but it's creating new tours without any support. The problem is um, now Japanese uh, borders officially reopening, but they're reopening with a huge condition, which is hiring a guy 24 seven to follow you. That's it's also very expensive because you have to pay for the guy. The government doesn't. So this is an average of $350 a day to pay for the whole guide fees. Uh, it's not something that everyone can afford. I mean, can you imagine just for 10 days, you would have to pay an extra $3,500 just to be able to walk with the guide by your side. And it's not for the interpreters. We, we heard that it was essentially so the guide would be in charge of watching you and make sure you wear your mask all the time. So that's where you get back to that guide versus experience. And, you know, I heard some of those um, the pricing for some of those groups that have that like full on guide and be told where you have to go and kind of like very, this is where you're going to be. This is where we're going to eat. This is where you can stay. Not really experiencing Japan. I could go to YouTube and press play on that and not have it cost. Um, I've heard some of these cost upwards of like $20,000 just for these experience. Like, you know, that's not an experience anymore. I said, that's that's not what I want. I'd rather see that $20,000 actually go to Japan, go to the small businesses, go to these ryokans, go to, you know, you and others and actually provide uh, a, re a reason for people to stay yeah. and not look to leave. Mm. Yeah, the biggest problem we're facing right now is that even if Japanese has reopened and you still have the problem with the guide following you and cost much more than you pay for the whole experiences. The problem is that 
you can only have this kind of connections if you're licensed and if you work close with the government. So because of that, only big, very big actors in the travel agency's business can uh, get something out of it. Most companies, independent entrepreneurs and small scale companies don't really have a lot of requests or don't have just uh, the contacts to be part of it, such as mine. Um, so this year in uh, March, April and May, we had a few bookings coming from people living in Okinawa in the US base and uh, some people living in Tokyo willing to travel around Japan, but to get the best out of their weekend. So they booked an experience with us and they were thrilled. They were absolutely delighted. I love their, their, um, their attitude, their mind, uh, even though they've been living in Japan for years. It was just an amazing experience to get back on the bike or to walk around with technically local people. They live in Japan, but they've never really visited the deep area where we are doing our activities and they were just so happy they could do it. So that made me feel very confident for the future reopening of the borders, because if people living in Japan enjoy our activities so much, people who, have, who don't live in Japan are going to get just crazy about it. It's going to be just amazing. But because of Japanese um, borders reopening behavior right now, uh, it's absolutely impossible for us to get anything out of it. And we just have to keep up with that. We just have to keep working to keep paying our charges, our rent for the bikes uh, locations. We have to keep those connections with all the locals very strong. So we have to come back regularly to say hi, to have a few drinks with them and to, to just you know, take care of those relations because it's very important for us and very important for the future of our tours. But everything, like some hotels we have to stay in uh, because some places are quite far, like two hours, four hours round trip. When you have kids, not easy. You don't spend enough time in the city, so you stay for one night. And all those charges, we pay, we pay for it. I pay for it. And unfortunately, because I'm a small scale business, Japanese doesn't support me anymore because technically they reopen the borders. Even if people start to travel again with big travel companies, they will they will literally run out of experiences they can do because all experiences providers have shut down. And that's going to be a big deal if they keep behaving this way. And, and for me, like Japan is one of those experiences where it's like you're going for me halfway around the world. And I think a lot of people that are going to, to Japan aren't going to Japan to look to be in a huge tour group. Like you're going to Japan to actually experience what it is to be in Japan. Besides like reaching out to you, Remy, and Japan Tour Adventure, and like my, my, my request is, like you said earlier, to go directly through you uh, as opposed to necessarily where like uh, for, our, for our stays and things, not going through booking.com when you can book directly with a location. What are some recommendations that you would give to someone who is looking to plan their next trip? What are some recommendations you would give? So uh, what I would give as advice, I would say two things. Number one, please join us. That's the first thing. Come to Japan to Adventure uh, because those activities were created uh, by me essentially because those are the activities I, I would have loved to do uh, as a traveler myself. That's the reason why I created them in the first place. That's how I created them in the first place. Like from a traveler point of view, that's what that's those kind of activities I wanted to do. Uh, the second thing I would happily share with you guys is that transportation is 
a blessing in Japan. Everything is so well organized and you can get so much out of it. So if I have an advice and if you're worried about your finances, don't book, don't take the GR pass. I would even say don't take the GR pass or if you do take it, use it wisely. The GR pass is kind of a very limited time uh, or you can ride pass on the, GR, on the Japan railway line. And a lot of people just think about the round trip Osaka uh, or Kyoto, Tokyo, and that's it. Don't do that. If you get there, sure, but then you have a few more days to use it. So keep using JR to explore all the surroundings, even the deep countryside. And if I have the best advice to give you from a transportation point of view, number one, if you don't have the JR pass, go for the night buses. They're well, they're very well organized, always on time, uh, very cheap, like a quarter, a quarter of the price of the Shinkansen, and they arrive at night. So you actually travel while you're sleeping. So in the morning, even if the sleep can be quite rough because it's a bus, you have the whole day to start exploring the city where you just arrived and you don't waste time uh, in transportation. The second one, if you want to travel daytime or even if you don't travel daytime, but you don't want to use a Japan just for Shinkansen, the bullet train and for one quick way to Tokyo, my advice, get off the Shinkansen, get off the bullet train, get on a local train. And it takes days, if you want, days to reach Tokyo, but you can stop in many places on the way, hitting many local stations, booking in small ryokans, small local houses, guest houses, and explore a very different side of Japanese culture, countryside. And you can discover so much more in the middle than just hitting the main, the main uh, cities. A friend of mine did it many years ago, and actually it took him three or four days to do that because he chose to stop at different places. And at every local line, he was nearly hitting the terminal station, the final station, and he was staying for one night at the small places he could find on booking.com or places like that. He reached Tokyo after four days, but he spent 6,000 yen in transportation instead of 12,000 yen for one Shinkansen ticket, which meant that he saved 6,000 yen and he spent an average of two or 3,000 yen a night in hotels and small um, guest houses and inn, which means it cost him barely 2,000 yen extra than the Shinkansen to have three or four days of experiences in the local Japan. That's, that's priceless to me. Remy, and that's my goal. Like, I keep on going back to introduce people to Japan and I keep on going on uh, trips with them. It's my favorite place in the world. It is my happy spot. In about 13 years, 14 years, I'll, I will be in Japan myself finally. But taking my son next summer, I, we're going to be hitting those different spots. But I like what you're saying. And I like that getting off, especially on that return trip with my when it's myself just myself, where I'm going to be going back and I won't have to take anyone to Kyoto. I won't have to take anyone like, you know, through uh, Tokyo and it's just me. That sounds like an amazing trip and not having that cost of a JR pass at that point in time. That's huge. And that is money I could put towards elsewhere and you're still getting where you're going. And then I'm, I'm seeing what I want to see, which are those places in between. So I love that recommendation. I mean, that's fantastic. Fantastic. No, my so, pleasure. It's like, um, 
we're, we still have a little bit more like of some recommendations and things, but we're kind of nearing our um, end here, my friend. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there anything, uh, discussion points or continuation of anything else that you wanted to mention uh, that we haven't covered to this point? Mm, let me think. Uh, well, for our, for all our activities, and especially when you travel, I think it's obvious, but always wear comfortable clothes and shoes, especially when you're on the bike or walking because you walk for miles and you don't want to have like um, uh, some pain in your feet, otherwise going to just ruin your day. That's very important. And also I would say that compared to other countries, you have to know that transportation is always on time in Japan. Yes, even buses, that's crazy. So for the trains, make sure that if you have the train leaving at, I don't know, 7.22, be there at 7.21 and you know you still have about 30 seconds before it takes off. So my advice, I know it's gonna sound ridiculous, but set your watch two minutes in advance to make sure you will not miss the train because if you run late and if you look at your time, you see it's 22, you know you still have one minute and you can go for a quick run to catch the train and you will get it. I had one friend with me on my uh, trip that learned the hard way that I, I told everybody, I said, hey, trains don't wait. And trains that say they leave at 1030 means that train has left the station like it's going. There's not I'm stepping on because it's 1030. It's like, you know, train's gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was running right behind us. He could have used your two minute uh, two minute tip because uh, he had to board the train behind us. We all got where we we're going. We're all, you know, grown ups and stuff like that. But. That's a nice recommendation as well, Remy. Uh, yes, thank you very much. There's actually one last thing I would like to, to tell everyone willing to book an experience with us. Um, as I mentioned in the very beginning, we are listed in most OTAs in the market, including TripAdvisor, uh, Get Your Guide, uh, Expedia, and many, many, many more. The thing is, those guys take sometimes actually a big cut. Uh, and to help everyone, we'd rather give some good discount to our guests instead of paying for a middleman. So if you guys are willing to book through our uh, platform, feel free to have a look at the description of the episode that um, uh, Michael is recording with with me. And uh, you can get 10% discount on any tour, anytime you want. And we did a very special thing besides that for our returning guest. When you finish the first activity, we will give you a very nice card with a QR code that will take you to a very uh, exclusive page with the photo archives where you can get all the pictures that the guide took during the tour. Within 24 hours, the pictures will be online and you will be able to download them for free and, well, keep your memories. And also, you will be able to uh, access uh, a very special coupon page. Those discounts coupon can be applied based on different uh, conditions, but you can get up to 30% off depending on how many people you are and when you're coming. So uh, as I said, we are willing to give you uh, more discounts if it means you're going to book through us directly because I think everybody's winning this way. And uh, also for a more Japan to adventure side matter, we also give on that page all the links of uh, OTS, TripAdvisor, Google, Facebook to support us, to follow us, to uh, recommend us to other people. And if you really like what we're doing, please feel free to put a big five stars on it 
and to write how much you enjoyed our activities. And uh, we're just going to be thrilled to read everything about what you did with us. And Remy, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, that is huge for everybody. Everybody wins. And I can't wait to uh, be able to meet in person and do a little update, possibly if time allows for us of an audio uh, our podcast again while we're there updating how things have improved for everyone uh, <laughs> at that time. And also uh, maybe even give a bit of a audio, uh, you know, bits and pieces of, you know, me making a knife and leaving with all 10 fingers. So look forward to it, my friends. So thank you again. Thank you. Beyond um, everything we talked to this point, I kind of want to get back to yourself and your site again here for a moment. Sure. And for you, Remy, um, what are the goals uh, for both, uh, you know, your site, um, yourself, uh, you know, Japan Tour Adventures for uh, kind of what we have left of 2022 and then uh, beyond? Yeah. So I have two main goals. Number one, because now we have uh, designed quite enough tour for the moment. Uh, I am training more people because I'm just afraid of how many people are going to get back to Japan once all the restrictions are lifted. So I don't want to refuse anyone. I don't want to say, I'm sorry, I don't have enough guys. So I am training myself. I'm training everyone because I'm the only one who knows how to do everything because I designed those tours. So I am doing my best to train a few more people willing to you know, to work on weekends or just even one day a week. It's not a problem. The problem is they must be trained and it takes time. It takes countless days to do uh, the whole route, to know exactly what to do, how to behave, how to work as a proper guide, how to give people confidence when they ride a bike, even by, you know, with the cars, because officially bikes cannot ride on the sidewalk. They have to ride with, with traffic. So uh, it takes a long time and I'm taking also on my own time and money to train everyone. And that I can't, I, I cannot count the time I'm, I'm taking. So it's a lot. Uh, so I'm, I'm taking a long time for that. And my goal would be to get about 10 people so I can split them in Sakai, Suita and Nara to make sure I have enough people to cover pretty much every day possible. Because if, uh, we start working because the restrictions are lifted, it means I'm going to have to get back to work for Osaka and Kyoto as well. So I'm not sure if I'm going to have. Uh, enough resources to cover everything and worse than having a tiny accident during a tour is to say no to travelers yes. willing to book because if the yeah. tour is open we must say yes and I don't want to refuse anyone because first of all they're going to have the bad feeling that we push them away and the second thing they might not get the chance to do the our tour at a different date so I do not, I do not want to have that kind of situation and that's for, I would say, hopefully, if the borders reopen with no restrictions by the end of the year. And for the rest, I have a new project of tour that's going to take probably a couple of years to be set. Um, hopefully less if we have uh, the right things uh, coming at the right time. But if you are even remotely into cycling, you might have heard about Shimanami Kaido. So Shimanami Kaido is a, a path. Uh, connecting the main island from a place called Onomichi, which is between Hiroshima and Okayama. And from that place, you get on, a, a dif uh, you, you get on different uh, bridges that connects you to Shikoku, a very beautiful island, a giant island that is a prefecture itself. It's a very big island. Um, and it's not just one bridge. It's like 
a group of different islands connected by different bridges that makes it possible for a, a rider, for a cyclist, for bicycles to ride from Onomichi to Shikoku with no traffic, no stop. You just can explore the whole, all the islands and to reach Shikoku within a day. So that's an amazing place. It's one of the top five places people usually dream of cycling in the world. So it's very famous among the cyclist community, less known from, you know, by regular travelers. But my goal as all the um, rental shops are in Onomichi or Shikoku already, my goal would be to open a tiny place to store my bikes, same as Nara. People would join our bike base in the morning and we would go on the ride to explore Shimai Mikaido on our own time uh, with one day halfway, we stop halfway in the island, one day round trip, then one, uh, two days, one night, if we cross the whole thing and we reach Imabari, which is the first city in Shikoku, and then three days and two nights, because we would explore uh, two different cities in Shikoku, including the connection between the two cities uh, in the mountain. So we wouldn't stay by the, uh, by the sea, we would explore two different dimensions, the sea and the, the mountain. But this is gonna take a long time to set as we also need partners that we have found, but we are still waiting to visit them because that takes a lot of money to go there and to pay for everything. So, so far as we are not really supported by the government and we don't have any guests coming, we have to put this on hold. Remy, I, I hope uh, nothing but success for yourself and everyone, you know, attached with you and look so forward to meeting in person and hope that listeners of the show are reaching out to you very soon to, to do the same and before my son and I do so. But I want to thank you again so incredibly much for setting aside time uh, for today, even with a typhoon warning coming your way, uh, Remy is persevering and, <laughs> and uh, making his way to us today. So it is super appreciated. Uh, one more uh, time here uh, before we go today, where can listeners of Lost Without Japan uh, find and support uh, your services uh, from Japan Tour Adventure? Yes. So to everyone, uh, please visit our website, japantouradventure.com, if you want to learn more about all the tours we're offering. Um, we have also a very strong community of over 5,000 members on Facebook, still Japan Tour Adventure. It's very easy to find us. We have Instagram with Japan to Adventure also, but we, we try to focus more on Facebook because that's where we can really exchange uh, with the community. Uh, we have recently uh, invested a little bit of money to uh, start making and producing some better uh, quality videos, especially to show people um, how the tool looks like in very short videos so you can have a quick glance of what you can get. And what you see on the video is exactly what you're gonna get. So we're not gonna lie to you uh, this is something we've been working on for the last few months. For anyone willing to create a partnership with us, because we think that in this kind of domain, the, the more we are, the stronger we get. Uh, please join us on LinkedIn, because this is more like a business platform. We have our profile with Japan and we are open to any partnership proposal, um, even maybe some influencers who would like to join an activity for free like um, Jeff from uh, Rediscover Japan did, if it, if it can give you some uh, great insight of what we have to offer and if you are willing then to promote our activities because you trust and you believe in what we do, this is something we're also interested in. 
Outstanding, Remy. I greatly appreciate you for joining us today, my friend. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, thank you really a lot for welcoming me in your podcast because uh, I listened to a few episodes, including the one uh, with Gareth from Road Bike Rental Japan. And I have to say, that I really like the fact that you're not trying to sell something, but you're trying to help people uh, just learning more about local actors that are already in Japan and all kind of a, they can help people coming to Japan just even for information, but also to give them something, some less famous experiences that would definitely change their memories of their Japan trip. I appreciate it, my friend. I, I want everyone to come to Japan to fall in love with it and uh, make it something that if it to be more than a once in a lifetime occurrence. On behalf of Lost Without Japan and our entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us today for this interview. We look forward to seeing you on board again for our next regularly scheduled episode as we continue our discussion of Japan, travel, culture, and your Lost Without Moments. To everyone out there, Oginki Day. Stay well, my friends.